Welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. You are listening to episode 142 on February 1st, 2024. Uh, if you like uh, this podcast, please rate it favorably on wherever, whatever platform you're using uh, right now. And if you want to make a donation, you can do so by going on consumerchoicecenter.org slash donate. And we are joined today by Elizabeth Hicks, U.S. Affairs Analyst at the Consumer Choice Center. Liz, how's it going? It is going great. It is so good to be back here. Hello to all the consumer listeners. I hope you guys are all doing fantastic. Well, I think they are because just yesterday they could listen to the very first episode of the Fun Police uh, Season 2 of the podcast series. It's been released 50 minutes of interesting content. I might say so because I produced it and wrote it and edited it. I have to do all of it. Um, <laughs> And, uh, well, thank you, thank you, Liz. Uh, I uh, I hope all of you like uh, the um, like the the Fun Police podcast series. There will be three more episodes coming out uh, week by week every Wednesday, and so you can listen to all of that wherever you listen to podcasts right now. We're hosting on all the same platforms, so thank you for that. Um, let's start off, Liz, with our first topic. I wanted to talk to you about this because I think this is an issue that happens in both Europe and the United States. Um, and so I have a news story here from DutchNews.nl. Uh, this is a resource we use quite often, Dutch News. They, they also produce a very good podcast, uh, the Dutch News Weekly Podcast, about all the news in the Netherlands. Um, and so shoplifting through self-checkout counters uh, is an increasing problem, and uh, the uh, the executive, uh, the chief executive of Jumbo, which uh, if you've ever visited the Netherlands, uh, is one of the major supermarket brands, says that an estimated 100 million worth euros worth of products from the grocery chain's shelves disappears through uh, that uh, system. Now, uh, some people are trying to steal more egregiously than others. Sometimes people just forget to uh, scan an item and they are treated like criminals, says the article here as well, because they forgot to scan a pack of paper tissues. Uh, but some people are definitely using the system uh, to try and get away, for instance, just uh, forgetting to scan the most expensive uh, items, uh, quote unquote, on the forgetting there. Uh, Liz, is this an issue as well? Or like, how how developed is self-checkout now? Like your your local supermarket, mm -hmm. what is sort of the ratio of like the manned or woman's uh, <laughs> registers compared to the self-checkout counters? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say here in the U.S., self-checkout is, is pretty popular. Any major grocery store is going to have a self-checkout option. Um, and, and interestingly, beforehand, it used to be kind of designated for folks that had a limited amount of items that they were checking out, you know, so if you only had like 10 items, as opposed to someone who maybe is buying groceries for an entire family of four or more for the whole week. And so it was meant to be a like a streamlined process for consumers to be able to get in and get out of the grocery stores more quickly. It is no longer that. It's interesting when I go to the grocery stores now, usually the self-checkout lines are longer than the the manned or womaned lined uh, or you know checkout lines, which is really interesting. And I think part of it is because it's, I think 
consumers have figured out that there is a way to take advantage of a self-checkout system if that is your goal. Um, and we've seen the same here in the U.S., a big crackdown on loss of merchandise and stolen merchandise from both grocery stores and and other stores, you know, like our types of pharmacies or convenience stores, um, even clothing stores and, and all of those types of things as well. Yeah. In, I, when I was uh, spending a lot of time in the, in the Netherlands, I saw some of the at the train stations now. Uh, Albert Heijn, which is one of the major brands, has self checkout only um, uh, ones as well, where you only have sort of like one security person um, standing around and you know, to to essentially check. And then you have a sort of a system where I think it's like once in every four consumers, or I'm not sure what the algorithm does. They, they do these checks where they'll check like three, four items from your bag and see whether that matches up. But ultimately, I mean, it always feels to me when I use these, like I I can easily do this wrong. You know, I can easily, if I wanted to, I could skew this. It relies currently a lot on the honesty of the consumer here. And, and, uh, And that must be, you know, losing the companies a lot of money there. Yeah, it's interesting because here in the US, I think with inflation being so high, um, many are taking advantage of the self-checkout aspect and thinking, you know, <laughs> I can get a better bang for my buck if I just uh, don't scan everything. Um, and there's been examples on social media that I've seen of people, you know, getting like PlayStation 5s or TVs and then not checking them out at the actual self-checkout, but instead will just pay like a price of a bundle of bananas for a giant TV or something, which is crazy. I saw too, um, I think it was a couple of years ago that Amazon was considering um, this new technology where when you're, I think it was with Whole Foods, if I'm not mistaken, but instead of having to even go to a checkout at all, whether it's one with a person or a self-checkout, the basket that you put your items into automatically scans what you put into it. And then it just charges your Amazon account. You just walk out the front door without even what seems like not paying, but they have a record of everything that you put into your basket and then you get charged for all of those things, which I think they started that in Seattle, right? I think Seattle was like sort of the first store where that was available, I think. I believe so. Yeah, I think they piloted it there. I haven't seen one myself where this is an option. I don't know if you have, but I think this is an interesting innovation to, one, keep um, the shopping experience as convenient for consumers as possible, but then for the store side, ideally limiting the amount of theft and lost merchandise that um, some individuals may be taking on their own accord. Yeah, I heard I heard apparently in Poland, there's some shops where that's already also now in use because that technology is not it's not only Amazon that has this technology where yeah. essentially your shopping cart counts what's in your what's in, you know, what's what's in it. And then you walk out. But then you, of course, you need a whole setup, which you know, like to a certain extent, maybe sort of the, the, the older consumers might have an issue with, um, uh, you know, setting up all the technology to make that work and sort of what is the transition phase. And also, I mean, you also just have people who are unbanked, um, um, you know, they don't have access to a credit card. They, they don't want to use a credit card for whatever reason they want to pay cash. So, so there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of those things that come in the way of it also. But what I think is the from all those different systems of how you pay in a grocery store, self-checkout is the only one where you put the responsibility on doing it right on the consumer. Because yeah. previously when you have the cashier and they beep it wrong in your favor or disfavor, you were always going to complain to the store and say, okay, I was wronged or it wasn't my responsibility here, whether you do it intentionally or not intentionally, it's always on you. Um, 
and then what creates it like what happens then and i've also seen you know you on, on YouTube once in a while, you see these news stories of like body cam videos where yeah. you see sort of the insides of that security system at a Walmart or, or Target, where it's like, you know, they sort of erect their own security systems where they yeah. now they have to sort of identify your intentions, where sort of the retailers become these kind of like investigators and and, and also like judges of sort of their own guidelines and policies. It's, it's very complicated. I mean, the bigger you are as a supermarket chain, the, the more complicated the system becomes. Absolutely. And I, I don't think a lot of consumers realize how in-depth some of these security systems are now. Um for a long time, you know, we've had the security cameras like in the ceilings, essentially, of grocery stores and stores and things like that. Um, but I don't think a lot of consumers realize that those are not the only cameras. There are cameras everywhere throughout these stores. Target, in particular, has taken their theft very seriously in these last few years. They have been notoriously looted. They've been shutting down some major stores throughout the country here um, due to the amount of, of theft essentially that's happening. Um, but they have really upped their game. And by the way, like these systems have been around for a long time. We're just finally learning about them as consumers. But in Target, for example, they have cameras, of course, on the ceilings, at the entrances, but they have them throughout the aisles, like at eye level and lower. So they can watch you essentially put your item into your cart or your basket. And if you don't, you know, if you're putting it into your pocket, they see that and they're going to flag you uh, most likely when you are leaving the store. So they've really upped their game with technology to ensure that, you know, they're not losing as much merchandise as um, they potentially have been. Yeah, I, I'm actually curious, Liz, are you a ordering groceries online type of person or do you still shop at a brick and mortar um, it's a mix. I would say most of the time I'm ordering through uh, like an Instacart moment <laughs> where I'm just having my groceries delivered by a very nice and thoughtful delivery person who will do the shopping. Um, but also every now and again, I'll find myself in the actual grocery store, but uh, I, I try to avoid it as much as I can. Well, fair enough. I mean, I, I still go, I still go in person and I end up in the, in the sort of the, the, the manned, I, I, is man the right word? I mean, there's a person working there yeah. kind of. <laughs> <laughs> kind of cushy because I like to pay cash. Um, yeah. I mean, people mm -hmm. people know this about me because I mean, I've, at BDC Prague just last year, you know, I, I gave a whole talk about why it's important to pay cash. Um, but of course, like many of those self checkout machines, just don't give me the option of paying cash. Uh, yeah. Some do, but uh, it's, it's rather rare for them to have that option. So, yeah. so you kind of uh, at the regular registry, and what happens often is with those. Uh, with those whole safety systems that they do now where they check on whether you did it right and then also a bunch of items just cannot be scanned regularly i mean if you get if, like, if you get the certain amount of fruits and vegetables you have to weigh them maybe you forgot or maybe you have to find the exact category of item it turns out very often these things might take longer than if you have a person doing it for you um, and, and, and so I find myself sometimes being a bit quicker than the people at the self-checkout, which I don't think was the whole point of self-checkout um, when, it, when it started. Um, it, it's supposed to be quicker, but it not always is. But yeah. um, in, in, terms of, I mean, in terms of that, did, did, you ever, did that ever happen to you that you did something wrong and you got caught at self-checkout? No, I've never gotten caught. <laughs> also, to be clear, I've never intentionally tried to steal something from a store. But there was one time where I accidentally walked out with something in my hand and I hadn't paid for it, but it was just like under my arm um, as I was like carrying my purse and everything else. 
Uh, and I felt so bad. I went back in the store and paid for it. <laughs> I was like, I did not mean to steal this. It, it was like something very small. Bravo. So, you know, it wasn't like it was a big deal probably anyways, but I, I felt bad. Um, but it, I, I was also shocked that I didn't get caught. Like no one had said anything like, ma'am, you need to pay for that. But um, I think also because I, I think this is the thing with self-checkout, though, is if you walk out with a receipt and bags, they're just going to assume you just paid for everything. Um, every now and again, we will have people as you leave the store checking your receipt to make sure things kind of match up. But that's not an every time sort of thing that's happening. So it's not hard to get away with it, unfortunately. But hopefully everyone will be as honest as they should be and not be stealing from anybody or stores. I, I, I mean, I have this impression it must be, it's so much work. I mean, it really is so much work for them to do it properly because there's those self-checkout machines that actually now also weigh the item and then you have to put it into this bagging area that weighs the exact item you just scanned. Yeah. And then, I mean, it happened to me that I put my bag on there that I wanted to pack the things into and now it was too heavy. So it said, oh, I can't continue. I mean, yeah. it's like, it makes it, it makes it so complicated, these things. I mean, the old machines didn't have that. The new ones do. It's, I mean, if you, if you want to get, a, I mean, if you want to steal that way, it seems increasingly difficult to do it. I think you still got to use the old trick where you order something on Amazon and then you pretend it's broken and then Amazon refunds you anyway. That's the old trick that people have been using for a long time and, and apparently Amazon still lets people get away with it. You can oh, do that with booze. I, I knew a guy who would do that with booze. Like he would just order expensive whiskey and be like, I don't like this whiskey and, and, and it's too expensive for Amazon to eat for you to send it back and so then they let you they let you keep it uh, i don't think you should do that structurally eventually they'll catch on to you though um yes. but uh yes. complicated any anything else you want to add on the because because you in the u.s you've had a lot of like um theft now in in, in big uh, in big shops i've seen that problem online right now yeah a lot of bigger stores are getting um it's not even bigger stores just a lot of stores in general are getting looted essentially you know and it's it's a variety of individuals who are doing it. Um, and essentially they'll just go in just quite honestly, stuff a ton of things into bags or into their arms and we'll just run out. Um, and it's very hard for security to stop a lot of these folks because one, oftentimes it's more than one doing it at one time. It's like a coordinated effort and these security guys at these stores, I mean, bless their hearts, but they are probably not paid enough to put their life on the line to tackle some of these people and get the merchandise back. I mean, not a job I would sign up for, but uh, appreciate their service nonetheless. But it's become a huge issue. And again, it's at, you know, like luxury stores that you would maybe expect a little bit more, you know, like your Gucci's and your Prada's and things like that. But it's also at grocery stores. Um, and one thing that I find um, sad too, and I think this really speaks to the state of inflation that we're all feeling is a lot of times they're not even stealing luxury items. They're stealing things like diapers and baby formula and more essential items that one would probably need for their family or to provide to others within the community that might need it. Um, so it's interesting. Again, I'm very pro don't steal, but also I, I have a little bit of empathy for those that may feel that that is their only option as well. Um, but hopefully we can in increase the tack to limit the amount of um, 
theft that we're seeing, but also hopefully on the other side of the coin, decrease inflation. So consumers can actually access the products they need for reasonable prices as well. I can tell you about one theft that I can see in every grocery store, and that is the value added tax or sales tax, uh, as, as you guys call it, that I see on my receipt. I think that should be printed bigger because if people complain yeah. about food price inflation, consider the fact that on every single purchase that you make at the grocery store, the government is taking, depending on where you're at, between 5 and 20% of the value of those goods. And that's maybe where you should knock on the door and be like, hey, if you really want to do something about the price of goods, there is something very easy, very easy tax uh, that you can that you can adapt. I know that my home country, uh, Luxembourg, they said we're doing something about inflation. They reduced VAT by one percentage point for just one year, which I guess cost more in the accounting, like the compliance of the accounting, than it ever was worth. Uh, but at least, at least they recognize that it's a it's a aggressive tax. So uh, yeah. if uh, government people are listening, VAT is the the point to start at. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. If there are any politicians listening, here's an easy win for you. We will give you all the credit. Go forth, take our ideas, implement them, and uh, reap the success. Absolutely. So let's, uh, let's transition to another topic. So this is an interesting one because I had been considering talking about this uh, here on the Consumer Podcast for a while because I've also received messages of people who... Um, uh, are prolific on, on social media. Um, and when you are prolific on social media, it turns out that some brands are interested in working with you to promote their products. Um, I thought when I reached a thousand followers on Instagram, they were going to try and send me watches. <laughs> Nobody sent me watches yet. I don't know what I have to do. I do like nice watches, so uh, maybe I'll, I'll promote them. But it turns out if somebody were to send me a watch and I were to promote it for money, um, or just the in-kind donation of, of a watch, I would have to disclose that based on where I'm at, that I have been paid for that. You might have seen those on Instagram already. Paid partnership with and then X name of the brand. Now, while celebrities, um, big singers and so on, feel it's uh, obvious that they uh, should do that, many people are sort of on the... Um, on the on the verge of like, well, am I big enough? Do I get paid enough to, to disclose that? And sort of what is the regulatory process? And so um, uh, in Europe, this is uh, quite a bit divergence between the countries. I know that Belgium is a country that requires you to even provide, uh, publicly make uh, available uh, the uh, your address or the address of your of your company if you provide those kind of services, uh, which of course creates then a privacy dilemma and so on. Uh, but in any case, Belgium has now been making the case on an EU level uh, the americans are regulating these things we should also be regulating these things as the european union uh, influences need to be cracked down upon because influences are also harming the children they are harming the children with bad imagery of uh, different types of things that they should be doing jewel often given as the as the example of uh, the e-cigarette e uh, maker having gotten all the kids hooked on vapes and now they're doing the same thing with making them buy uh, watches and bags and uh, what have not and makeup and all of these things. Uh, Liz, any thoughts uh, on this? Uh, what should we do with those darn influences? You know, it's so interesting with these influencers. I feel like it's a love-hate relationship with them. Um, in the U.S., you know, we have 
as everywhere in the world, has had a lot of influencers really skyrocket in the last decade, um, where their followings are, you know, millions and millions of people. Yeah, as same with you. I'm not getting any brand deals. If anyone's listening that wants to give Bill or I a brand deal, we're open to it. Let us know. Please <laughs> but, do. Please do. But, you know, we have these mega influencers who are promoting different products and uh, different services and things of the like. But before, they didn't have to have any sort of disclaimer that they were being paid for this content, um, which was misleading to, I think, a lot of individuals. Um, one example I remember is uh, one of the Kardashians was promoting like a weight loss tea and was like, this is how I got in shape and you're not going to look like a kardashian if you're just drinking this weight loss tea sorry to everyone who's tried um but so eventually that they got a lot of pushback on that and the ftc at some point um in the last few years decided that if you are an influencer and you are getting paid for um content that you're promoting you have to make that very clear in the caption of that post um so that's why we see oftentimes like hashtag ad hashtag paid partnership um to signal to consumers Consumers that hey, like this product might be great, but also they're being financially compensated to promote this product to you, which I think is helpful just for consumers to have that transparency. Um, and again, like I think it's great because again, these products could be really good products, and it's still helpful even if it is a paid partnership to get that in front of you know all of their followers. But you know, making it very clear that of course they were paid to, to do this, I think is really important. I mean, I, to me, sometimes these things are fairly obvious. I mean, the, the, I mean, on one hand, the brand name will be in the description anyway, because how else are good people going to find out that it is, you know, how they can right. actually find it unless it was already disclosed, which makes it usually fairly clear that it's, it's an ad. Also, influencers, from my understanding, often have a tendency of saying, I wasn't paid by X when they do recommend a product based on just, you know, them liking the product which yes. you know usually when they don't say that means that they were paid to do it and also i mean i think what is very important is that for the like since the beginning of cinema movies have been promoting uh products i mean james bond drives an aston martin and daniel craig started drinking heineken all of a sudden to yeah. the extent that you only would drink it in an ad. And there's no disclaimers for that whatsoever, right? There's no beginning of the movie, this was sponsored by Heine. Because we know, like, we just, yeah. we're not that stupid. We realize that, you know, those things are there for a reason. And I just feel like with influencers making content that, I mean, far surpasses even the production quality of many movies. Uh, I mean, like, you know, the, if you go back into the 90s, I mean, the, the, the camera quality and the sound quality of these influences, it's almost like, you know, TV type content. Um, why do they, why do they get, you know, the, why is there this requirement for them when, you know, the cinema industry, which is much bigger in terms of revenue, uh, is is not required to do something similar. Not to give them ideas. Now, I don't think right. it should be necessary for for movies. Uh, but I just, I just, I think there's a bit of an inconsistency here. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think there is definitely a big inconsistency, which also is interesting because with the U.S. government and how they view um, influencers in general, there's what I would argue is an inconsistency there as well. Um, you know, there's this pushback from the government, like the FTC, etc., to really regulate these influencers, what they're able to say, what they're able to promote, things of that nature. 
Um, however, they also have tapped into influencers to spread their own messages <laughs> to their followers. For example, when the COVID vaccines were first um, getting deployed throughout the nation, there was a roster of influencers that I believe the CDC approached and, and offered compensation to to promote the vaccine to their followers. So I find it a little interesting and, and a little inconsistent where it's like we want to the government here really wants to regulate these influencers. But also wants to tap into their influence and their ability to, you know, change behavior of their followers or, or the people that are, are watching their content. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I, I remember Joe Biden had this influencer meetup as at, at the White House, where you know all these people showed up with their selfie sticks and so on. I mean, all these YouTubers and so on. It's like, I mean, if they get their trip paid by the White House. Like, should that be disclosed? Is that, I mean, I mean, uh, maybe it should be because it's taxpayer money. But I mean, if that yeah. happens, I mean, if Kanye uh, showed up, Kanye had this whole thing in the Oval Office with, with Donald mm -hmm. Trump. I mean, if there, was a, if there was a monetary exchange for that kind of thing, should that be disclosed? Because um, then you get into sort of like, what is campaigning? And what is yeah. sort of government spending? And then and it gets complicated because campaigns don't have to make things pop, like public. And then, I mean, but, but all of these things, I think it's... Um, I think it's just this fear of, of a new thing and uh, this idea of regulating it because what we see now is while TV ads, for instance, have been heavily regulated. I mean, you can't, I mean, if, the, if it's pharmaceuticals or, I mean, many products like nicotine products can't even be advertised. You have the whole disclaimer at the end. But then influencers sort of get around this by, mm -hmm. you know, doing it in a bit more sneaky fashion. And I think it's just a lack of control. I would love to think that the legislators care so much about protecting the youth, but I think it's just they're upset because manufacturers get around the rules by using influencers and also get a bigger audience. Yeah. And, I mean, this idea that um, uh, it's targeting the youth because it goes on platforms that are also used by young people. But young people just don't watch TV. Of course, you wouldn't put a certain ad on uh, a children's TV channel because you don't try to advertise to children. But if you do it on through an ins like through an influencer on on Instagram, you don't have that control because you don't know who's like watching that show because any anyone can just tune in. Which is why I always say that. Parents should look at these parental control tools that are made possible yeah. through YouTube, through Instagram and so on, because it allows you to at least, you know, account for some of these things. But then again, I think the ultimate message is, yes, young people are on those platforms. Yes, young people are going to occasionally see, see things that they maybe should not see. But if you protect your children forever from seeing anything that they're not supposed to see, then you know, you're not making them ready to engage in the world because there's going to be ads on a bus stop. There's going to be ads right. on, a, on, a, on, a, on a on a on a on a on a billboard that you cannot control. That right. they're going to see anyway. The real world works like that. So I just feel like it's this control thing that we're now trying to do, where it's like everyone has to fit into this like advertising guideline, and it's just not yeah. it's not helpful. It's not going to work either. Yeah, I feel like there's a big push, weirdly, from parents in a way to create more of a nanny state by our governments, which, and I've seen this in a few different areas, but, you know, this is a great example where there are, like you said, there are parental controls on 
I would say probably all of the social media apps, whether it's, you know, Instagram or YouTube or whatever it may be, where you can limit the content that they're seeing. And of course, you know, some things might pop up that may be wrongly tagged or whatever. But for the most part, I, I would imagine, and from what I've heard, they're pretty good controls that they have in place. Um, so I think parents just need to take a little time to figure that out and and make it clear with those controls what they do want their children to see or not to see. But to expect the government to increase regulation for everybody, I think is really bizarre. And again, we see this in other areas as well. But I... Um, I would hope that, you know, we can appreciate individual choice and and not need a, a nanny state to tell everybody how to live their life and what they can or can't do. But, you know, if you're a parent, you should be able to set those own rules within your house um, for your children. But I would hope you wouldn't need an entire government to back you up on the rules you're trying to implement with your children. And if you do, then I don't know, perhaps we need to uh, reevaluate a little. I don't know. But the nanny state side is getting out of control. And it's it's a little concerning, the the push that we're seeing for it these days. Yeah. And, and to to sort of like outsource that on the compliance of, of influencers. I mean, I get how influencers cannot be the most like easy people to like sympathize with because some of them can be <laughs> awfully annoying. I, I, I absolutely understand that. I mean, it's like the cringiest content, but then, okay, you just don't watch it because unlike an ad, I mean, you can, you can, you can tell meta through Facebook and Instagram and these other services. Don't show me this ad again. But eventually, they will still show you some type of ad unless you pay for the platform. An influencer, I think, is easier because an influencer, you can just restrict their content by not following them or just saying, I don't want to see their content anymore, right? And then you won't see that person pop up anymore. Um, but what, what I think, yeah, sorry, Liz, you wanted to say something. Do you have thoughts on child influencers? This is something that we've seen a lot um, more of in the U.S. And there's one um, little boy here in the U.S. who has a massive YouTube channel. And I don't know his name, so apologies to the listeners. But I'm sure you could Google it. But he makes millions of dollars every year. He's like eight years old. And his whole YouTube oh, something toy review toys. Yeah. Yes, so toy I've seen that. Sent him like their latest toys and then he just opens them and is like this is awesome and plays with it and and gets paid insane amounts of money to do it and i, I feel like this will be probably the next step for um regulators uh we're seeing a lot more in regard to youth safety online um and bills of that nature but i would imagine there will potentially be a crackdown on you know, children being used as influencers and maybe being used is the wrong word. I don't mean it to sound nefarious or anything, but the fact that they are minors and are now a making this exorbitant amount of money and then B they're not, you know, technically adults. So are they able to agree to that is, is an interesting conversation. I think we will start seeing pop up more and more as well. But I'm curious yeah, but if, if you have thoughts on the child influencers and how you feel. Well, about I I, I also forget the first name, but it's something, something toy, toy reviews, uh, toys review, whatever on, on YouTube. I, I forget it also, but it's one of the bigger channels. But if that was, if that had been a TV show 20 years ago, they would have also put that on. It's not, you know, it, in, in its, in its, in itself, it's not something problematic because a kid is reviewing the toys. I think what 
bothers the regulators is that we've cut out the middleman that they can give a call to. So if you are the regulator and you see something that you don't appreciate, previously you only had to call six networks to try and get that removed. Oh, wow. But now you have a million influencers and the platforms justifiably are not responsible for what the people put on the platform. So it's not like you can just call the four or five platforms. Right. No, now you have to essentially reach out to the influencers and, and there's too many of them. So now what you try to do is re regain that control by making legislation that applies to all the influencers and you can give them fines indiscriminately of whether they sh did something wrong, like objectively or not. And I think that's sort of where the problem is. I, I don't think, like it's a case-by-case -case basis, you know, mm -hmm. is there a problem with a, a child, you know, like playing with toys uh, and, and marketing them? Not, yeah. not I mean, I want to say obviously not, but of course you could sort of find an example where I'd be like, well, okay, obviously this is dangerous and shouldn't be available to children. But right. but I think I think if I have to choose between sort of regulating some of them out of business for people to make extra income or to make income altogether, just to prevent those sort of like difficult cases. I mean, I think it was it was Chris Snowden who says. Uh, hard cases make bad law and and i think that's and i think that's uh i think sort of that it's what it narrows down to it's like don't make it too hard for people to 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 make a living online yeah and i think one thing that we see unfortunately too often is legislators will oftentimes adopt a one size fits all policy that they think is you know going to be the solution but in reality there's so many unintended consequences that it's actually harming more than it's rectifying whatever issue they're trying to solve um, and i think this could be a great example of that because yeah i mean they're is it is a child unboxing toys an issue? I don't think so. That seems like harmless fun. And if I was an eight year old getting a a bunch of toys mailed to me, I'd be thrilled. And then also making like I think it said in twenty seventeen, this kid made like eleven million dollars. That sounds great. His college is paid for. I mean, that sounds like a win win for everybody. But I could also imagine there are there's probably some other version or, or types of content that we maybe would not want to see um, in that regard. And so I think it's you know, having like a one size regulation is just not going to be effective here and is going to, to harm more than it does good, I think, for many consumers. And on that note, uh, what you were listening to right now, this entire episode is not sponsored, but maybe it could be. <laughs> uh, you can reach out to us uh, if you're not too upset by, uh, by some of the things we've said. Uh, because, I mean, there is technically ad space that we could sell here, but, uh, you know, and we would maybe even disclose it, but you'd have to, you'd have to try sending us money for it. Uh, you can reach out to me or add via email, bill at consumer choice center.org if this has been a pleasant conversation where you'd say my ad should totally be on here we still have to consider it i don't know i mean if if joe biden if joe if joe biden and the democratic party want to put an ad on this podcast absolutely absolutely what we'll say after the ad is totally up to us but you can totally <laughs> buy ad space on this podcast i We'd hope you get delighted. a lot of emails after this with uh some interesting uh offers here on things you could advertise we'll have to follow up on that that'll be great I mean, I sometimes we have we get emails of like 
somebody trying to pay us to have a certain guest on which mm. usually are not the guests you want to have on because if somebody reaches out to a podcast and i mean we realize we are not the biggest podcast on the world out there we have a, quite a few listeners but we don't have enough of them um if you need to pay for them uh on on a smaller podcast probably not worth to have them on uh, sorry about yeah. that for all the people listening in there but uh yeah liz uh, any concluding words uh we're banning self-checkout and we're banning all the influencers or the other way around or i think the other way doing? around i think we need to uh continue to innovate i don't think we need to ban more things i think we just need to uh find smart policies that actually solve these issues and generalized bans and and these one size fits all, fit all types of policies are just not the answer here so i know we dropped some good uh, recommendations for politicians <laughs> again if any of you guys are listening feel free to adopt these but please no more bans on things it's not helpful so those are my uh, final thoughts the bands are banned. You heard it here first. Thank you, Liz, for joining the Consumer Podcast. Uh, we will be back uh, next week with uh, with another episode. Let's see how I figure that out because I'll be traveling to Brussels. And there's, uh, you know, for all the talk about the pharma protests, it seems that I might be affected by some of them as well because I'll be traveling to some of those cities. We'll see how that goes. Uh, in any way, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Liz, thank you for coming on. And Thank you, yeah. guys. Appreciate it. See you all on Thursday.